Well, this morning, we're continuing our series. And to let you a little bit of an insight into Karis and I's life, we like to tease and joke with each other sometimes. Keeps life interesting. And I'm not going to say who, but one of us sometimes takes it too far and uh, maybe retaliates to a joke, and then he finds himself having to apologize. But uh, usually it's done in good spirit. Usually we like to tease each other, we like to joke, we like to play practical jokes on each other, and it keeps life fun and interesting. Uh, But sometimes in marriages or in friendships, we use uh, jokes as an excuse to actually jab at the other person, and it's not in a good spirit. Like this husband and the wife that were driving in the country in a relaxing fall day, in relative silence, it was nice, it was calm. And they both look over and they see in a field there's a whole bunch of mules. And the husband points it out to his wife and says, uh, there go your relatives. Without missing a beat, his wife goes, yeah, by marriage. <laughs> and I, I know that's a fictional story, but there are some couples, there are some relationships that it's like that. It's trying to get one up on the other person. And sadly, that's, that's uh, typical in some friendships or families. Uh, and as we were speaking of the power of words, I thought I'd give a little bit of an insight to how many words actually come out of our mouths. So uh, out of everything that we do in all the different types of communication, about 10% are written. So that's written by email or old school handwritten letters or text or social media. Uh, But all the words that are coming out of our mouth, whether you talk a lot or a little and you think you're on the spectrum, uh, it's actually the averages out to each person speaks about 15,000 words a day. So to put that in perspective, the average person can fill about 50 pages of a book per day. So 50 pages of a book, if you average that out, that's 91 200-page novels a year. That's how much we're all talking. And it's not saying that it's a bad thing, but imagine for me, if you would, someone that was walking around, following you around, and transcribing everything that you said. Would you be happy with what was written down? Uh, I, love, I love listening to podcasts and learning, and, uh, and uh, one of the, the constant things in one of the podcasts I listen to, it's a lot of authors that uh, write Christian books. And uh, they say that usually they'll hand uh, their editor a manuscript of, let's say, 50,000 words, and they'll come back with 35,000. They'll cut down a huge chunk of what this author put their heart and soul on, trying to make the best book possible. And most of it isn't, isn't used, or a lot of it isn't used. But unfortunately... We don't have that luxury when we're speaking in our lives. There are things that we say or do or uh, write down on the internet that stays there forever that we wish that we could take back. We wish that we could edit. Uh, There are things that I say that I wish I could hit delete and backspace and uh, start over. But unfortunately, that's not how the world works. And so as we've been going through the, uh, the third chapter of James in our series, Watch Your Words, we've been encountering the dangers and the power that our words have. And James calls all Christians through his letter to be consistent in their faith. And he emphasizes in this section on using uh, your mouths. But the, the issue that he was writing to address was that Christians at this time had started trying to be in the world and yet be Christian at the same time. And they had this nuance where they would 
act one way when they were around believers and act a different way when they were around non-believers. And he was saying, for your words, that can't be how we are. So in James uh, 3, 7 and 12, if you'll uh, flip over there in your Bible, hard copy Bible in your preferred translation, or swipe there in your iBible, I'll be reading out of the NIV 2011, where James writes this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You can keep it open there because we'll be, we'll be in there. Uh, I'll bring in some other verses, but that's going to be our main text this morning. So James starts off right at the beginning, once again in this section, warning about the dangers of the tongue. Uh, he reiterates what he's established in, in the first uh, two messages in this series, and it's that the tongue is both powerful and dangerous. Left untamed, it's a tool that can destroy our lives and the lives of those around us. Last week, he likened it to a horse and a ship, uh, two powerful forces that can be controlled if only trained very well. And uh, often the tongue is thought of as the rudder or the bridle, but as we saw, it's actually the horse and the ship. And it can be brought under control with training and discipline but not by our own strength, because we aren't strong enough to do this ourselves. Uh, and so that's why James again here reiterates that all kinds of animals have been domesticated and trained by human beings. They've been trained, even though they're more powerful, even though that they have strengths, that human beings have been able to tame them and make them do what they want. But he says, very hopefully, no human being can tame the tongue. It's full of deadly poison. He's pretty uh, frank and goes straight to the point. And so restless evil full of deadly poison, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty straight to the, to the bit right there. So it doesn't take very much imagination for us to sit here this morning to think about times when maybe someone else has said something to us and it feels like poison in our soul. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was someone we don't even particularly like, but they've said something and it's just sat there and it's burned, and it's hurt. And then we can also, again, without much, much imagination, think of times when we've said something, perhaps accidentally, or perhaps out of anger, or perhaps in an argument that we've said something that we haven't, uh, we haven't maybe particularly liked, or we wish that we could take back. But last week we saw how James showed a corrupt tongue spreads its corruption to the whole person, and then in community to those around the person. And here he shows greater evidence of that happening. In verse uh, 9, James shows, he says, Our tongues are used both to bring praises to God, the Lord and our Father. So last week we saw in Isaiah's uh, vision in chapter 6, the angels in God's presence are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And even this morning, we've sang songs of praise. We've sang songs of worship. 
with our mouths we have said that God is good, that God is worthy. And whenever we pray out loud or even in our heads, uh, we're using our mouths, we're using our words to praise God. And that is good. It is good to praise God. And whenever we, uh, whenever we praise God, he's edified and we are edified. We are, uh, we are speaking truth. But then sometimes, even in the very next breath, we'll pray or we'll speak something or we'll worship in the very next breath. We'll say something evil about a different human being. We'll curse somebody else. And this inconsistency in speech, uh, James says, we. He's even including himself in this. He's saying, we all do this. He's saying there's nobody that could say that I'm completely free of doing this other than Jesus. So the capacity to give both praises in one breath and curses in the next is the, the fundamental inconsistency that James is warning us about. He says that this cannot be. Uh, and the reason that it's so dangerous to speak evil and to speak curses to other people is that humanity alone is made in God's image. God created everything uh, on the earth, and he saved the best for last. He, he left mankind. And, uh, and for mankind, he said, is made in my image. Even the angels in the heavens that are made of spirit and are with God and are, are uh, praising God continually, mankind is unique even among them because we alone are made in God's image. And that is a, a vast concept and a vast idea. But the, uh, the uh, main thing about it is that we are mirrors that are made to reflect God's glory. When we are at our best, we glorify God by just everything that we do. And so we're meant to reflect God's glory. So when we look at another human being and we curse them or we tear them down or we uh, say mean things about them, we slander against them, we gossip against them, when we speak harshly or cruelly or hatefully to one another, we're not only offending that person, we're actually offending God because that person has been made uniquely in God's image. And so when we curse the mirror, we're cursing the creator. And so uh, God, at the same moment that he hears us in one moment speaking praises to him, and the next sees us uh, uh, cursing somebody against them. And so the tongue's capacity for blessing and cursing shows that we're schizophrenic by our nature, that we know we need to praise God, but yet in the next breath we'll, we'll curse somebody else. And so we should never be shy about praising God. Let's focus on the positive. If you are a person who cheers at sporting events, and who uh, maybe you're a quiet, reserved person in church or in your regular life, but if you go to the V's game and you're shouting and you're jumping up and down and you're clapping and you're ringing that bell, then maybe you should be showing more praise in church. Or maybe you should be showing more praise if you're shy in the shower or on your car ride to, to, to work. The, um, the aspect of praise is it's different than worship. Worship is something that we do no matter what. We're made to be worshipers. We worship, and you can worship silently. You can worship uh, just uh, in any circumstance. You can worship doing the dishes. But praise is out loud, and it's spoken. In the same way that uh, you can uh, become a believer, you can be saved in your heart by just acknowledging Jesus as Lord, you cannot be a disciple without saying out loud, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
And one of the best ways of doing that is publicly through, uh, through baptism and saying that I want to follow Jesus with my whole life. So you can be saved alone, privately in your, your room, but you can't be a disciple of Jesus without actually saying it and showing it to other people. And so we should never be shy about uh, cheering God on and praying for him. Hebrews 13:15 says, we are to, called to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So in our daily speech, we should praise and we should worship God. We should give God glory for the things that he does constantly. And so this is so important because we're made to be worshipers. And uh, uh, my, my favorite uh, definitions of praise is, uh, uh, is that, sorry, I lost it here. But um, God honors our faith and God honors our acts of worship. Uh, and as God honors our praise and our acts of worship, he actually takes care of our problems. God uh, is the one who loves you no matter what you have done. And I don't know about any of you here this morning, but there are times that, that I've regretted what I've done. There are times when I've wanted to do the right thing and I've done the wrong thing. And the, the beautiful thing about Jesus versus the otherworldly religions is I don't have to earn that love because Jesus has earned it for me. And he's earned it for you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to, be, uh, you don't have to check all the right dots in order to be loved by Jesus. We check all those things and we follow God in holiness because he already loves us. So it's not an excuse to sin and it's not an excuse to say, well, God loves me no matter what. But it's saying that I want to follow God because he already loves us. And so God is the one who is ever present with you in times of trouble. Who here has ever experienced trouble in their lives? You've had a crossroads. You're at a time when you need help. God is the one who is there. God is the one who is present with you. And so when you're in bondage to sin and whatever else would oppress you and you need help with your battles, you're not strong enough to win, God is the one who's there and says, I'm the victorious king. I'm here to be strong because you don't need to be. He is truly worthy of all your praises. And let's practice this this morning. Say out loud with me, God is worthy of praise. There, we're praising this morning. God is so good. So we practice worshiping God. In Joshua uh, 6, 3 to 5, the army of Joshua circles the city of Jericho. It was seemingly the impenetrable fortress. And God told them to walk around it once a day in silence uh, for seven days in a row. And on the seventh day, they walk around it seven times. And then they blow horns, bl uh, blow instruments of praise, and shout. And the walls come crashing down. Now, I've heard this story lots of times, and I've read it lots of times, and until I was studying it this week, it didn't hit me as profound as it is. What brings the wall of Jericho down? It's, it's God, but it's, it's the people's praise brings the wall of Jericho's down. The people of God praising God breaks the unbreakable. It breaks the bondages of sin and death in the world. I, you, cannot, you cannot grasp this enough. Praise is so powerful. It is such a powerful tool that we can use. So we should never be people of lackluster praise, just going, well, how great is our God. 
We should, we should actually believe and sing and praise all the time like we actually mean it and like we actually believe it. And if you're shy, too shy to do it in front of people, then belt it out in your car. Who cares what the people driving by you are? It's a small town. I know some of you might recognize some of them, but that's okay. You can praise God so wholeheartedly together. And so that is the power that God has given us in our mouths. The praises of God can destroy the obstacles that are in our path. And bringing it over to the New Testament, Acts 16 to 25. Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus, had been arrested for teaching other people about Jesus. And they're chained and beaten. And in the middle of the night, you don't hear them commiserating. You don't hear them complaining. You don't hear them going, oh man, it's hard to follow Jesus. No, what you hear them doing is singing songs of praise. And for those of you who are familiar with this story, what happens next? There's a mighty earthquake. Their praise and their songs of praise shakes the prison, breaks all of their chains, and they're able to leave the prison. It's an amazing story, but it's not a story. It's what God is calling us to do, to praise him. So uh, God responds powerfully to the praises of his people. And praise is the most powerful weapon you possess. Psalm 34, 1 to 3 should be our battle cry in life. And I say battle cry because we are at war. We're in a spiritual war. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your soul, your friends, your family's souls. And we are called to be God's army. And so it says, uh, Psalm 34, 1 to 3, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When we make the choice to glorify God, no matter what is happening around us, our view of God actually increases. Our problems no longer seem big. Our problems seem small compared to the glory that God is with us. So God increases our view of him in our, our, in our eyes, our hearts, and minds when we give him the glory that is due to him. So God is so worthy to be praised. So let's praise him. And in verse 10, uh, James transitions. And again, he says that, uh, or for the first time, he says that we praise God and he, he is worthy to be praised. Let's not make light of that. But he says, but then we curse human beings. And he says, that should not happen. If we're truly worshiping God and we're praising him, we're lifting his name high, how is it possible we have room to curse other people? James calls us brothers and sisters. And this isn't just an antiquated thing that we say. The Bible actually talks about us as being family. We are part of the family of God. Now, I know family is a hard thing for a lot of us. We have broken families. We have broken relationships in family. But the family that we are called to be is a family that loves one another, as Christ loves us. We're supposed to love each other sacrificially. And so if we are a family, we should not be tearing each other down. We shouldn't be discouraging one another. We should never be calling out evil things against one another. Instead, what we should be doing is building each other up. So uh, James, in the last verses here, says that uh, just like he uses imagery in the, other, um, in the previous sections, he uses it here. He says that there can't be a salt spring that brings up fresh water. It's just not possible. 
And there can't be a grapevine that bears figs or a fig tree that bears grapes. It's not possible to be one thing and to produce something else. So James is making the assertion that we need to be springs of living water. We need to be springs of life to one another. And so we are called to build each other up, not tear each other down. So again, James is warning us of the duality that sometimes happens in our lives. We think I can be in church, I can praise God, I can be nice to the people who are there, it's an hour and a half, I can get by. But then we walk out the door and maybe we're rude to our waitress or waiter or server, I guess we're supposed to call them now. Or we, maybe, uh, maybe we go around and we uh, just speak something about something else. We have a little piece of juicy gossip. Brothers and sisters, that should not be so. There's no room for dual out, duality in the church. If we are called to be one thing and one thing alone, is that as followers of Jesus. So we need each other as a family. God calls us a family because families are meant to support one another. The, the saying that blood is thicker than water is absolutely true. And we're not family by our genetics. We're family because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what draws us together. That no matter what you are going through or what you suffered through, you should have a brother or a sister that can come beside you and encourage you and build you up to share together the burdens of life. And so uh, being the, the body of Christ, we're not meant to be a solo journey through life. It's just me and Jesus, that I don't need anyone else. We're actually meant to be a community of faith that comes together, that helps one another. Comrades in arms that are fighting and working and being together in order to help one another. And so we're called to build each other up, not to tear each other down. And that's why there's so many verses that are challenging us and calling us to use our mouths to encourage and to pour life into each other. So just a few of the ones that are there. Ephesians 4.16. Ephesians 4.16. From him the whole body joins and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we as a body are held together and meant to build each other up, to support one another. And it, in love, each part does its work. So each one of us does what we've been called and equipped and able to do, and we support each other in that. And then his book, Summarizing uh, Theology, in Romans fourteen nineteen, Paul writes, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's do whatever it takes to have peace. Let's speak truth and love and let's have peace among each other and to build each other up. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brother and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And one more, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you are doing. Now, I thought this one was really funny because uh, it, it doesn't necessarily happen automatically, but Paul here is writing to the Thessalonians, and he's encouraging them to encourage one another. And he does it as he's encouraging that they're already doing it. I just like that kind of thing. He says that... Uh, continue to make every effort to build each other up. And so, sorry, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you are doing. So he's encouraging them to keep encouraging. 
So I encourage you. There, I know there are people among you that are among us that are already encouraging one another. I encourage you to keep encouraging, because it, it is a great thing to happen. And as a community of faith, as Nazarene Pentecost or Nazarene Penticton Church, Nazpen Church, Nat Pen, oh gosh, the Penticton Church of the Nazarene, shortened Nazpen Church. We are called to build one another up. One of the primary ways we do that is through our words. And so the words that we use matter. The words that we email, the words that we write, the words that we speak, the words that we post on social media, the words that we use matter because they are there for eternity. Maybe they're the eternity in someone's heart or maybe they're the, on, the, uh, on the internet or whatever they are, they all matter. And too many churches in the world are known for what they are against. Too many churches are thought of as being judgmental, critical, negative, naysayers, when instead churches need to be, and our church needs to be, a place of speaking life and truth together, of being uh, loving and kind rather than judgmental and critical, being gracious and edifying rather than tearing down. So my heart's desire is for our church to be known as a place where people are welcomed and loved. And I already know that, uh, that I've heard the report time and time again. I love, uh, I love asking people that come and visit our church for the first time. They have a fresh pair of eyes. I love asking them what they thought, what they liked, what, was, what they didn't like as much, what we could improve on, all those kind of things. And the common thing that people say over and over and over again, and what I want to encourage you, is that we are welcoming. Is that we welcome people. That we make them feel loved and accepted and bring them in. And so continue, I encourage you to continue being welcoming to people because that is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to love one another and to build each other up. And so I want people's first reactions to our church to be one of gratitude, that maybe they don't agree with us, but that they know that we love them and they know that we care for them. And even if we uh, disagree on some very important things, they'll know our position. They know where we stand. They know where the truth is and what we believe. But yet they'll love us anyway. That they'll say, they disagree with my lifestyle, but I still feel loved by them. That's what I want the world to be. That's what I want our city to say for us. And of course we want them to come to the truth. But people won't come to the truth unless they feel loved first. And so we need to continue to welcome those. And so we are called as the church, as followers of Jesus, to be construction workers, not demolition workers. Now, uh, we uh, just did a, the foyer renovation. And I have to say, I, I loved the little bit of work that I was able to put into it. But I, I loved even more seeing the, the many people that gave hours and hours of work and, and effort. And when we tore out the walls to Debbie's office, I want to say that took a couple hours. There was a crazy crew here that just did it, all that work. But the tearing down took a mere few hours. But the rebuilding took many, many more hours. It is always easier to demolish than to build up. It is always easier to tear down something than to build it up. It takes so much more work to build something up. And this, this isn't just buildings, this is people. It takes, it takes a mere few minutes, a mere few words to tear someone down, but so much more work to build somebody up. The process of discipleship and encouragement and lifting each other up takes a lifetime. Andrew and I have talked uh, recently about how it seems like 
when you're driving around, when you're just going in life, that people are just angry, that people are just mad, that people have so little patience, that people are just frustrated and grumpy. There's a spirit of grumpiness in the world, it seems like. And uh, you can see this driving when people's traffic finger, they like to use it all the time. Or uh, people are just in line and they're just grumbling and complaining. And just look at the news these days. Media no longer is, in, is never encouraging, it seems like. It's tearing people down. Even, uh, even political leaders that the Bible calls us to uh, pray for and to uh, pray for them for their help. The media that used to be uh, encouraging or at use, least used to be critical just of ideas now is attacking people. I've, uh, I started reading a book about Abraham Lincoln and his opponents and how he was able to get even opponents to come into his cabinet and be with him. And I haven't gotten very far in it, so don't, don't be too proud of me or anything yet. But he, uh, the amazing thing is there was one, and I, I think it was a Republican and a Democratic uh, newspaper that was talking on him, but don't quote me on that. And I think they use different party names. Um, but... The newspaper, which was completely against this candidate, wrote this piece that said, we have disagreed with Mr. I can't remember his name's uh, um, political stance. We disagree with his ideas. We disagree with everything about him. But this newspaper would like to say that this is a respectable, honorable uh, man that is doing his best for the people. That was his opponent. <laughs> if you look at political ads these days, this person is the worst person that ever lived, and they are going blah, blah, blah. They're doing this, and they're evil. And then their, their one supporting them is this person loves puppies, and they kiss babies. And it's just this terrible duality that we have. We, we can't no longer, or we can, it seems like we can no longer respect people and, and attack ideas. It seems like we have to attack people in order to attack their ideas. But so what we are called to as Christians is to go against the culture. Not to flow into the world to the spirit of grumpiness. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. It's pretty simple. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So the words that we say matter so greatly. In a podcast interview on Craig Rochelle's uh, podcast, he was uh, interviewing an FBI um, uh, negotiator. And this negotiator said he actually um, will use negative words sometimes um, because a negative word is two times, 2.9 times more powerful than positive ones. And so in other words, to put it, flip it the other way around, there's a lot of negativity in the world. In order to build someone up and encourage them, they need to hear three times more encouragement than the negativity that they're speaking. So it, the onus is on each one of us to encourage people three times more than they're getting discouraged. And uh, James says that rather than being pools pouring salt water forth, which is undrinkable, we're called to be springs of living water, of fresh water, and if we're oriented this way, if we, instead of being pools that would pour out salt, would pour out uh, fresh water, then we would be an encouragement to those around us. And so our conversations matter so much to God. And what we say matters to God because life and death are in our tongues. 
So not to mix up metaphors too much, but Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So it says, seasoned with salt always. Now there's something magical that happens when you put salt and heat together with a potato. It makes this amazing thing called a french fry. And so uh, heat and, and, and uh, salt together, a french fry. That's what graciousness in our speech does. When we're gracious in our speech, it's magical. It's something that's remarkable and powerful, and it builds each other up. So salt, instead of, uh, also on top of it being just an amazing flavor with potatoes, uh, is a preservative, and it actually prevents decay. So simple speech flavored with grace prevents decay in relationships. When we speak grace to one another, when we speak gracious words, it prevents harm in other relationships. And so, the, uh, so is this important then? Of course it is. It's so important for us to speak words of life to one another. Now, something that I uh, sometimes struggle with is not necessarily the words I say, but how I say the words that I say. Sometimes I'm impatient or harsh with one of my daughters. And harsh talk can actually strain relationships. And so now it feels maybe like we're sitting there and we have this big to-do list. Okay, I have to praise God in my car really loud and maybe next week even at church or after the sermon or, uh, and I have to be careful with all the words coming out of my life or out of my mouth. Woo! We're getting there. And we start to feel like we're getting overwhelmed. We have this big to-do list. We have all these things that maybe I need to work on. When we see areas of our shortcomings in our life, we can get, we can get down and we can feel, oh, we can start getting hard on ourselves. But the hope is that there's actually someone who has more skin in this game than you do. There's someone who cares so much about you that he doesn't want you to stay the same. And that he cares so much about that, that, that he wants to improve you, that he came and made it possible. Jesus the Christ not only died on the cross to pay for our sins, but after that, he actually sent someone to be with you. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is what can enable you. In, uh, when, uh, when John was uh, writing about Jesus, he accounts him saying uh, this amazing thing. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is, sorry, John seven thirty-seven to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We live in a post-Jesus-glorified state. We live after the day of Pentecost when God's Holy Spirit poured out miraculously on those who believe in him. We live in that day where we have access to the Spirit. And Jesus said that uh, those who have the Spirit can be, rivers, have, can be sources of rivers of living water that flow from us. So James is calling us not to be springs of salt, but to be springs of living water flowing from us.
Now, I'm not a super visual person normally, but I love to think of this as uh, a nice little rocky, bubbling brook. And it's not just a little trickle of water that I want coming out of me. I want a, I want a giant geyser of the Holy Spirit pouring out of me. That is how we can be encouragement to one another. That it's not us pouring out what we have. It's pouring out what God has filled us with to overflow. It is God filling us with so much of his love and grace and mercy, not for us to keep, but for us to pass out to other people. May you infect other people with God's love. May you just pass on and cleanse them with God's love as you go about your day. And so for some of you, this might be a new idea, and it's a beautiful promise to receive and enjoy and praise God for the Holy Spirit. But for those of us who are familiar with us, let's not take this lightly or gloss over the idea, yeah, the Holy Spirit, that's great. Yeah, I, I have the Holy Spirit. I understand that at an intellectual level. But, but take, take a second to even think about this. All throughout the Old Testament, the people who did amazing things of God, the people who did the amazing miracle of like Elijah and Elisha did, the amazing things of bringing people back from the dead, the, the King David and all of the, the amazing things that, they were, that he was able to do, uh, Moses parting the Red Sea, everything that the God's people did that was amazing and miraculous was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And those people back then were the exceptions to the rule. They were the very few that were anointed with the Holy Spirit, the prophets, the kings, the leaders of God's people. That's no longer the exception. That's the here and now. That's the, the kind of power that we have access to. And it's not power for us. It's not so my name is great. It's not so your name is great so that people go and go, oh, that guy's amazing, that, that woman's amazing. No, so God could be glorified and that other people can be edified. So let us walk as people who are filled and empowered, joyfully loving one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing thing, what it would be like if we were a church filled with people that are so in love with Jesus, that are so filled with the Holy Spirit, that as soon as people walk in the door, as soon as people walk by, as soon as people encounter us walking in the grocery store, that they go, there's something different about that person. And I don't know what it is, but I want that. That's an amazing thing. What if in our relationships, people just, they can't, maybe can't put their finger on it, but they said, that person's amazing to be around. That person is just, just so nice to be around. Every time I'm with them, they feel so life-giving. Now, I'm sure all of us could think about there are people that we could name, and I wouldn't say it to do it now, but there's people that when you spend time with them, and when you leave, you don't feel encouraged. Maybe you feel drained. Maybe you feel like they've taken something from you. But then there are those people that when you spend life with them, you just feel invigorated. You feel filled up. You feel encouraged. You feel joy. You feel like no matter what you brought into that one-on-one, -on -one, that meeting, that, that coffee, that lunch, that whatever, you feel full of life and energy. May we all be those people. May we all be those people that people just want to be around because we have Jesus inside of us. Now this morning, I want to encourage you to use that power that's within you. Not to be scared of it, but to use that power by the grace of Jesus that he has given you to praise God and to bless other people. So live as victorious sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Prince of Peace.
So three ways that we can very tangibly act on it as the, the worship team comes forward this morning is, first of all, make time to praise God loudly this week. Make time to praise God. Secondly, encourage at least one person each day. Go out of your way or in line at the grocery store to give someone a word of encouragement this morning. Maybe it's a teller who looks like they're, they're cast down, they're having a hard day. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Encourage at least one person each day this week. And then thirdly is to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. And the best way to do this is just to surrender and say, God, use me however you want to use me. And pray for those that you encounter. So would you please join me in prayer this morning as we uh, continue and we stand in worship and uh, respond to what God is doing in our lives. Father God, I thank you for who you are. You are worthy to be praised. You are awesome. You are mighty. You are bigger than our imaginations. And you are the Prince of Peace, Jesus. You are the mighty counselor. And I thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill our lives to overflow. Help us to walk around being living, breathing examples of you, Jesus, and just pouring and spilling over in your love and your grace in all of our relationships. May we be people of life to one another. May we be a church, a community, a people that are just so filled with your love and passion and encouragement that others can't help but want to follow you, Jesus. So we thank you and say that may your name be lifted high and be glorified in all that we say and do. Amen.